Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. A few weeks ago on the program, I mentioned that I attended the Listen Feminist Conference in Melbourne in October. Listen exists to spark and cultivate a conversation from a feminist perspective around the experiences of marginalised people in Australian music. I told you that it was a conference that I thought was going to be about music and the performing arts, but after three days, I was completely reinvigorated by the potential of the performing arts to push a political agenda. One of the speeches that really blew me away was the one delivered by Alok Vaidmanon. Alok is a trans femme South Asian writer, performance artist and community organiser based in New York City. For the past seven years, they've organised in solidarity with racial, economic and gender justice movements worldwide. Over three episodes of Accent of Women, I'll broadcast Alok's keynote address at the conference, so make sure you don't miss any of it and the podcast will be available from 3CR's website. Hi everyone. Um, Good morning. Thanks for making it here in the morning. Um, I'm about to get really emotional and intense, but it's Sunday morning, so we'll call it church. Uh, First and foremost, I want to begin by honoring the Aboriginal custodians and owners of this land. Gender is a colonial system, and there will be no trans liberation without Indigenous sovereignty. I also want to start by taking a moment to acknowledge and honor all of the trans and gender nonconforming people we have lost to murder and suicide this year, the majority of whom are trans feminine, black, indigenous, poor, and or sex workers. Let us honor both the lives that we know and the countless numbers of people whose physical and spiritual deaths have gone unreported. Often trans and especially gender non-conforming people have to undergo two deaths, both the initial act of violence and the subsequent misgendering and erasure in death. Thank you for all that you were and for all that you continue to give us today. It is the summer of 2015 and I am in Chicago celebrating my father's 60th birthday. One of the most joyous parts about growing up as a queer Indian is that I've come to hold a very deep and sincere appreciation for paradox and simultaneity. A relative telling you that they love you but hurting you instead. A joy, a fear in the same breath. On the plane to Chicago, I am dreading seeing family or rather being seen by family. Or rather, dreading their probing questions their disapproving glances, their relentless skepticism of my life and my job and me. On the other hand, I am overwhelmed with a deep and resonant sense of adoration, or rather, dreaming of the food, the humor, the kind of unconditional love I don't know how to translate into English yet. The act of getting dressed to see family is already always political, so for this one trip, I opt for that ambiguous space. Short shorts, blouses with plunging v-necks, but no skirts or dresses. After cutting the cake, my aunt tells me that she recently stumbled on some YouTube videos of me performing, and she quite enjoyed them. I am surprised by this move. Denial is usually our favorite choice of seasoning. I understand this is her way of acknowledging my difference. My cousin chimes in, yes, your performance seems so realistic, so raw, so authentic. It's almost as if you are speaking about your own life and your your costumes, they are so cool. And then I get it, 
My family understands performance as when you dress up as something that you are not and tell a story that is not yours. My family understands transgender as when you dress up as something that you are not and tell a story that is not yours. I think a large degree of the acceptance I've achieved for my family and my people as a whole has come because they think that this is my art practice and not who I am. I turn to performance as a way to communicate my complexity, my rage, my joy, my entirety, but gender gets often in the way of me actually being seen. What does my family see when they see me? How come that image is more powerful than anything that I'm saying? What are they projecting onto me? What ideas and narratives about performance, identity, and life itself are being grafted onto my body? In that moment, I want to write five Facebook statuses about the brown knowledge systems of my elders. <laughs> Talk about how they all have different ways of understanding gender that are real and valid and transformative. I want to believe that my family is subversive or resisting something or doing something relevant and maybe even radical. On the other hand, I want to write three poems about familial transphobia and how it destroys me and how we don't yet have a language for that type of intimate violence of being erased by your own people, even though your gender is your fiercest devotion to them, that kind of time travel that comes from being told you are new even though you know that inside you are very, very old. And at the time, I felt small in an incredibly large and terrifying world where I don't have the language or the geographic coordinates to say something as bold and rebellious as this is who I am, this is what my gender is. I feel lost and unable to figure out how to respond stupid for saying, no, my gender is not a performance, it is real, because why should I have to make claims to authenticity to be whole? Don't want to blame my family for not understanding me, want to blame myself for not understanding them, and it hurts having to hold so much, your anxiety, other people's anxiety, your audience's anxiety, and at some point, you can't tell the difference between their fear and your body, their confusion and your own. I don't really know anything, I am not brave or smart or powerful or resilient. I am lost and hurt, and the things that I write about are often the things I need to articulate to justify being alive. I want to figure out what my family sees in me, know what they see in themselves when they see videos and photographs of me. I want to figure out why performance is one of the only spaces in my life I was given permission to experiment with my gender. I want to figure out what it would take to celebrate gender non-conforming people of color, and especially those of us who are transfeminine, outside of the context of a photograph, a video, or a stage. To begin, I hold these truths as self-evident. One, there is no such thing as a transgender issue. There are just issues that cisgender people have with us. The task, then, is not to empower trans people, but rather to disempower those who turn their insecurity into an insurgency against us. There are currently no funding streams dedicated to supporting the cisgender community and overcoming their backwards ideologies. <laughs> I fully intend to change that. Two, complimenting gender non-conforming people for our beauty and our resilience does not stop the violence we experience. Rather, it can be a tactic to A, recuse yourself of, consibility, uh, recuse yourself of responsibility in perpetuating our suffering, or B, overcompensate for the fact that you are surprised because deep down, you still believe that gender nonconformity is tragic and ugly. I tried to tell my last street harasser that a lot of people thought I was a brave and beautiful soul, but that did not stop him from following me home and making threats to my life. Three, I have never met a man or a woman in my life. I have met thousands of extraordinarily complicated people who are drowning in the categories they've been submerged into without their consent. 
Instead of asking for help, they are determined to bring us down with them. One time on the subway, a person came up to me and whispered that they wore dresses at home but never outside. I wondered if that moment, if all of the men who harassed me in public were really men in private. Four, gender non-conforming people are not failing to be men or women. We are, in fact, succeeding at freeing ourselves from a world that requires conformity for humanity. The reason we are punished is not because we are different, but rather because people recognize a part of themselves in us that they had to destroy in order to survive. It is hard to have your abundance mistaken as absence. Five, trans people should not have to be gender conforming to be safe. Trans people should not have to be gender conforming to be desirable. People of color should not have to be gender conforming to be respected. The fact that they do suggests not only how much work we have ahead of us, but how much was taken from us. They tell us that our narratives need to be digestible, but I wonder which parts are left after we are finished being consumed. Six, the stage is simultaneously a site of transcendence and torture for us. On the one hand, we relish in the ability to express ourselves on a stage, but on the other, we know that we are only permitted to exist in a photograph, on a stage, in an exhibition. Our gender is already always understood as a costume, something staged and never real. Is a photograph allowed to have a heartbeat? Is a photograph allowed to breathe? What happens when the photograph walks out of the frame and onto the street? Does it survive? Do you care? Seven, the only thing trans people come out of is the gender binary that was imposed on us. We are not born in the wrong body, we were born in your wrong world. Asking for gender is another way of asking, where did you come from? Sometimes when I answer, water comes out. Eight, I have never felt more authentic in my life than when I was performing on a stage. Could it be that white supremacy has so thoroughly consecrated and ritualized lying call it school, or medicine, or government, or God, that these moments when we are encouraged to perform are actually the only moments we are permitted to become real. I came out on the stage wearing a dress and I left with it still on. Why did the applause turn into outrage when I walked off the straight stage and onto the street? I began with these disclaimers because I want us to think today about the limitations of an image. Before I began the speech, my image was already doing the talking. Why is he, I mean why is she, I mean why is they wearing a dress? <laughs> why am I so uncomfortable by seeing a man in women's clothing? Oh crap, I don't think that they're actually a man in women's clothing. I have never seen anyone who looks like them speaking. How are they still confident to leave the house like that? Oh crap, it shouldn't require confidence to be who you are, this interaction. This host of assumptions and reactions to my image, even before I started speaking, is what I want to explore together. There's a saying we hear all over the place, a picture is worth a thousand words, and every time someone says it, I want to groan and say yes, but will you stay all afternoon and actually listen to those thousand words? Because the truth is, a lot of them are very, very mean. A lot of them should make you upset. Some of them should make you wish there was an IRL comment section that you could chime in and say, excuse me, comment number 47, that was incredibly problematic. But we don't really do that. We take photographs, and especially photographs of marginalized people, as a stand-in for who they are, some intrinsic essence that magically and fantastically exudes from the image. I don't buy it. 
I believe in captions. On a given day in New York City, I'm walking around, let's say, drinking juice, going to the museum, meeting up with a friend for dinner, and on the way, at least a dozen people will take out their cell phones to take photos and videos of me without my consent. I have developed several strategies to deal with this encounter. At least you could have told me you're photographing me today. I would have dressed up for the occasion. Oh wait, I did. Or, <laughs> let me at least strike a pose. But on my less patient days, I just sort of hunker down, look at my own cellular device, and try to hobble over to where I'm going as fast as possible, which can be difficult in five-inch heels, I assure you. <laughs> what I really want to do is have like a printed receipt with a caption that reads something like, hello, you forgot to ask me for my name, it's a loaf in case you were wondering, and I'm a non-binary person, which means I don't know who I am and I'm not sure if I ever will. Uh, but I can tell you for sure I'm not a boy or a girl, which is not really that big of a deal. The reason you are taking my photo is because you are reducing me to a spectacle and an object instead of granting me my full humanity. By the way, you do not own me or my representation. I'm a person. I have feelings and that hurt. You will forget me, but I will never forget you. But then I remember that women's clothing doesn't really have pockets because of sexism. So. <laughs> I would have nowhere to keep these receipts, and then I remember that if I dare speak back in this way, there would be serious repercussions, which goes to say, I believe in captions when they are possible. I think images are important, but I am deeply concerned about the relationship between image and trans people. Would trans people even exist if you didn't want to take our photographs? I am concerned by what it means to be a trans performer in a world where people already think that who I am is already a performance itself. I am concerned by how we keep on calling cisgender people looking at us progress when that is what they have been doing to us since the beginning of time. I am concerned by how we keep on calling cisgender people clapping for trans people on a stage groundbreaking when they continue to use those hands to slap and abuse us behind closed doors. I am concerned by how we keep on calling trans visibility inspirational when trans visibility is actually an oxymoron. It is impossible to look trans because our genders are who we are, not necessarily what we look like. I am concerned with how we keep on conflating recognition with visibility. Certainly there are other forms of recognition beyond what we look like, especially in a political climate where so many trans and especially gender non-conforming people like me have to choose safety over authenticity. And most of all, I am concerned with the thorough and systematic erasure of gender non-conforming trans feminine people from the gay movement, from the feminist movement, and for now, the trans movement. How this alleged trans tipping point has not yet come to embrace those of us who identify and present outside of the white colonial gender binary. How acceptance of trans people still is determined by how much we approximate and uphold cisgender, heterosexual, and white norms. How what little progress trans people have had in the media and entertainment landscape has largely been through distancing ourselves from our gender nonconformity and making appeals to cisgender fantasies of what trans people should look and act like, failed gender deviants who can only be fixed and integrated into white, heterosexual, cisgender womanhood. In this talk, I want to argue that representation of trans people in the entertainment world, and especially gender nonconforming people like me, is insufficient. We deserve more. Yes, images are cute. They have been fundamental in my own journey of self-discovery and exploration, but I don't think we are just fighting to be represented. I think we are fighting for something deeper and perhaps even more spiritual than that. We are in a political moment where trans visibility is on the rise, but what about trans subjectivity? I do not believe that visibility directly translates 
inputs into subjectivity. The difference between visibility and subjectivity is the difference between being objectified and being respected. It's the difference between a meme-ment and a movement. I believe we have a trans meme-ment, not a movement. A meme is a humorous image, video, piece of text that is copied and spread rapidly as a means of entertainment. The subject of the meme is permitted no life, let alone consent, outside of the image, as its only purpose is to entertain other people. The image then becomes a trap, one that promises mass exposure but actually relies on mass erasure. The meme is concerned more with virality than vitality parody than profundity, consumability than complexity. Despite widespread visibility, the meme is still fundamentally regarded as a joke. The meme is still defined by the dominant culture. The meme has no ability to shift the culture itself. The meme is simultaneously something you can identify with online, but would never offline. What thinking through this trans moment as a meme-ment allows me to do is reconsider this moment of trans visibility as actually a moment of cisgender fantasy. To be more blunt, I believe that the current project of trans visibility is more about cisgender people creating and strengthening their own cisgender and white identities than it is about trans people uplifting our own. It is about my family believing my gender is a performance in order to believe that theirs is real. Trans visibility, TM, creates a type of universal transness that is separated from our actual lives, interests, and ways of being. It grossly oversimplifies us and reduces us to our aesthetics and our genitalia instead of regarding our full and total subjectivity. Newsflash, trans people don't just live trans lives. We are extraordinarily textured, diverse, and complex, just like you. Trans people should not have to be visible to be real. Trans people should not have to be visible to be regarded as human. There's not one trans story, trans body, trans aesthetic. We just aren't permitted that complexity because white supremacy is invested in reducing us to our genitalia and our bodies. White supremacy has taught the world that trans femininity is superficial, not substantive. That trans femininity is apolitical, not powerful. Taught the world that trans femininity can only belong on the stage and never on the streets. And those of us who are trans women and trans feminine people of color have to grapple with the theft of our aesthetics and our livelihoods to be only repurposed for an agenda that we never consented to, have to be reduced continually and thoroughly to parodies of white cisgender women and not something meaningful, wonderful unto ourselves. And last time I checked, I'm not interested in being a white cis woman, they're interested in being me. <laughs> I'm more interested in what it would mean, what it would take, what it would look like for people to embrace gender non-conforming people beyond our visibility. A profoundly anti-racist move, I believe. What it would mean to actually regard what we are saying, what we are doing, our intelligence, our artistry, our power. It's not enough to be invited to the table if we're going to be misgendered when we get there. It's not enough to be invited to the table if, our very way, if the very ways we have to identify ourselves, narrate our experiences, and live our lives is defined by white cisgender norms. Ask yourself, why aren't trans people invited to take portraits of cisgender people and interview them about their genders? Why aren't cisgender people hosting cisgender monologue series? Why don't cisgender artists include their gender in their bios and their promotional materials? Why am I required to be a trans artist and not just an artist? 
This is where I see the creative work of gender non-conforming people as a necessary intervention. I'm part of a generation of gender non-conforming artists, thinkers, and activists who are navigating an unfamiliar landscape of simultaneous hypervisibility and yet still hyper-erasure, trying our best to find language and give image to ourselves and meaning to ourselves in a world that thinks it knows us but didn't even ask for permission first. Many of us turn to art as a place to assert ourselves outside of your stories. The difference between a photo that stands alone and a photo that speaks back to you, that is invited to present a lecture, is a question of subjectivity and therefore a question of humanity. I like photos, I think I look cute in them sometimes, but I also like conversations. I also like poetry. My work uses image as well as poetry because I want to push us not just to settle for the mass consumption of our aesthetics and actually push farther and demand trans justice. That we argue not just for the legitimacy of being trans or gender nonconforming, but that we argue for the legitimacy of being whole. And that, my friends, is an entirely different project. Right now in my art practice, I've been thinking about what it means to carry a controversial body. I say carry as if my body is not mine because what I've realized is that gender was something that was forced on me, it's not something I chose. The problem wasn't that I was misgendered, the problem was that I was gendered to begin with. Assigned male at birth doesn't quite capture how I'm still assigned male every single day on the street, at the school, at the airport, almost everywhere I go. The language of gender identity feels like it misses the point. What about those of us who don't identify with gender to begin with anyways? How can we have an identity based off of our lack of gender? Why are we defined by our absence and not our abundance? The reason my body is considered controversial is not because I necessarily wanted it to be, but rather because other people made it so, because various trajectories of colonialism and white supremacy have made it so that gender non-conforming people are not allowed to exist in public. We are only permitted space in a performance context. I wake up and brush my teeth and get dressed and walk down the street like everyone else. Okay, maybe not everyone does that, but that's fine. And, and bam, gender. I realize that I'm controversial when everyone stares and points at me, laughs at me, taunts me, and pushes me down. It's really kind of awkward how white cisgender people blame us for making everything about gender when they are the ones so invested in it to begin with anyways. <laughs> Last time I checked, it was white cisgender people who insisted on putting a gender on my birth certificate, who insisted on putting a gender in my identity documents, who defined their entire sexual and romantic preferences, lifestyles, and orientations on the basis of gender, but I digress. It is that interaction that I've been so fascinated about exploring in my art practice. As a class-privileged gender non-conforming person, most of my interactions are with other people and not necessarily the state. For many working-class gender non-conforming people, gender non-conformity means murder, means criminalization, means being fired from jobs, means being denied access to domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters, means being refused health care, means police brutality and murder, means being tortured in prisons. According to the National Center for Trans Equality in my country, non-binary people are actually the most likely to experience physical and sexual harassment. These interactions are not just about theory, they're about life or death for many people in my community. I have the privilege to get away from violent interactions in a taxi, whereas many do not. What do people do when they are confronted with an image that they have no frame of reference for? How do they react? What memories, emotions, and ideas, and histories does the image produce? What does that interaction say about our society, and what it's come to hold about difference, and what is gender anyways? It's fascinating to bear witness to the mental gymnastics that cisgender people have to undergo to understand something so simple. As, uh, and what it reveals to me is that gender is not actually about gender. It's about a whole host of other and perhaps more universal trauma, desire, and repression. 
I want us to move away from our reliance on gender identity, which already always puts the burden on individual trans people to do the labor of proving ourselves using language that wasn't made for us, to instead regarding gender as a relational system. This shift, I believe, is incredibly important because it, as it currently works, trans people are tasked with the task of liberating ourselves from the fantasies and anxieties of cisgender people, rather than cisgender people being tasked with the actuality of confronting your own inadequacy and insecurities. My gender is a series of fairy tales that other people made up about me. It's my body and its image being filtered through a series of colonial tropes like the man in a dress, healed here to instill moral and sexual panic, the racialized person who needs to be civilized into Western Christian gender norms, no thank you, I'll pass. The slip of the script becomes, what does my gender, or rather, what does your anxiety about my gender say about you? I should say here that part of my coping strategy for the constant scrutiny I have to endure every single day of my life for simply existing is that I've learned to intellectualize what were and continue to be a series of incredibly violent interactions. The reality of being a gender non-conforming person is that there is no respite or break from the constant harassment, scrutiny, and policing of every realm and dimension of our lives. Those of us who do not transition into safety, disappear ourselves into white cisgender norms, are constantly viewed as failed men or women and are victim blamed for all of the violence that we experience. Why did he slash she slash it have to be so visible? Why couldn't he slash she slash it try to fit in more? Why can't he slash she slash it just done that at home? That was part one of three parts of Alok Vardmanon's keynote address at the Listen Conference. If you're interested in any of Alok's poetry and other written works, you can go to the website returnthegaze.com and that's R-E-T-U-R-N-T-H-E-G-A-Y-Z-E.com or you can go to darkmatterpoetry.com. Additionally, if you want to learn more about Listen, go to their website, which is listenlistenlisten.org. A big thank you to the conference organisers for the use of this audio. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. The digit three not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.